Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, Happy New Year to all of you here at Central Campus and also those of you who are joining us online and those of you who are meeting at one of our other campuses in Airdrie, in Bridgeland, in South Calgary, and also in the Crowfoot Northwest part of Calgary. Now, up until this past Friday, wouldn't you agree with me that we have really had an amazing um, fall and winter, you know, all things considered. It's been really nice, absolutely. And um, I was bragging uh, about the wonderful weather we have in Calgary when someone reminded me that good weather is a matter of perspective. Uh, what we Canadians consider to be good weather may not be shared with the same enthusiasm by those from other parts of the globe, which I believe is truly their problem. And uh, I don't think weather is a matter of perspective at all. It's a matter of how tough you are. Uh, we Canadians are tough, amen? Uh, you know, totally. Especially those of you who are here today. You know, you made it. You know, you are tough. You online, not so much. But... Uh, <laughs> Anyways, but um, we Canadians are tough. For example, if it's four degrees Celsius, Australians, I'm told, shiver uncontrollably. Uh, while we Canadians, we sunbathe and drive with our air conditioning on. Uh, if it's minus 10 degrees, uh, people in Florida wear coats and gloves and wool hats. Uh, we Canadians go swimming in the nearest lake. Uh, if it's minus 20, Californians, they begin to evacuate the state. Uh, we Canadians throw on a light jack and have a last camping trip before it gets cold. <laughs> if it's minus 60, polar bears evacuate the Arctic. We Canadians pull down our ear flaps. If it's minus 60, all atomic motion stops. It's then, and only then I might add, that we Canadians say, cold enough for you, eh? <laughs> if it's minus 500 degrees, hell freezes over, and the Toronto Maple Leafs win the Stanley Cup. <laughs> uh, now, when I saw that, I thought it was funny. I thought I'd add to that. Either that or the Edmonton Oilers make the playoffs and don't get the first round draft pick again. But anyways, I think that we're pretty blessed living where we live. Uh, if nothing else, it builds character. Right on. Well, as you've heard from Herman, uh, I'll be picking up a series that I put on hold due to my time away on sabbatical. In the series which <clears throat> we're calling <clears throat> Christianity 101 <clears throat> focuses on the foundations of our faith or what we believe as Christians. Uh, now, for those who are new to our church, perhaps weren't around then, uh, here's a brief overview of what we have covered so far. In the first seven messages, we examined the seven characteristics of who God is. Uh, we looked at our God is all-powerful. Uh, our God is all-knowing. Our God is everywhere present. Our God is loving. Our God is holy and just. Our God is sovereign. And in the seventh message, we looked at our God is good and trustworthy. And if you want to know more about our God, be sure to go online and, and, and follow that series. 
We then study what the Bible teaches about who Jesus is. Jesus is Almighty God, the second person of the Trinity. He's the wonderful counselor. He's the everlasting father, the prince of peace. And then just before going on the sabbatical, we studied who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity. Not only is he referred to as God in Acts chapter 5, but various scriptures describe the Holy Spirit as possessing the attributes of God. In Luke 1.35, it teaches that he's all-powerful. In 1 Corinthians 2.10, that he's all-knowing. In Psalm 139, that he is everywhere present. Genesis 1-2 indicates that the Spirit was involved in the creation of the universe. He is creator. Luke 1.35 says that the Spirit caused the miraculous conception of Jesus Christ. Now, secondly, the Holy Spirit is a person. Many people perceive the Holy Spirit to be a power or a force rather than a person. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a spooky ghost or a force like we saw in the Star Wars trilogy. You know, Luke, the force is with you. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is a person who possesses all the characteristics of personhood. And there are all kinds of scriptures that verify this. The Holy Spirit thinks, he speaks, he leads, he has a will, he has feelings and affections. He can be grieved. The Holy Spirit is a person just like Jesus. But unlike Jesus, he never took on human form. He didn't die for your sin. But he has been sent by the Father to live in you and to assist you as his children and empower you in all aspects of your Christian life. He is your primary helper. He is your primary source of wisdom and power. <clears throat> so don't ignore him. Talk to him. Build a relationship with him. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit is our companion. If you're a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And he lives through you. He births and baptizes us into God's family. He anoints and empowers us. He teaches us the scriptures, makes things clear to us. He develops the character of Jesus in us. He prays for us, even when we don't know how to pray anymore. He loves us. He restores us when we fall, when we experience failure. And he guides us, which is the ministry of the Holy Spirit that we're looking at in this particular message. Now that's a very brief picture of who God is, who Jesus is, and who the Holy Spirit is. And if you'd like to <clears throat> view those first 15 sermons of this series, you can do so, as I said, online, or visit our Appleseed bookstore, and they'll provide you with the DVDs or the CDs, whichever you prefer. Now, as I said, today we're gonna be picking up Christianity 101, where we left off by exploring one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who guides us. Before we get into it, would you please stand and join me in dedicating this time to the Lord in prayer. 
Heavenly Father, as we embark upon another year, we find ourselves excited at the prospect of what this year will bring. And yet, on the other hand, Lord, we acknowledge that we are apprehensive because we don't know the future. Help us to see in a a new way today that we do not face the future alone, but that the one who knows the future is with us and wants to be our guide and our friend. Open our ears, Lord, and soften our hearts so that we might hear your voice and do what it is you're asking us to do. For I pray it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> when I was 16 years old, uh, my father and I were working together on the farm. And during that time, we got into a lengthy conversation about my future. And at the time, my dad owned a successful construction company and a farm. And he talked to me about joining him in the business and ultimately taking it over one day. The offer was incredibly appealing to a 16-year-old. And I was feeling pretty good about it all when a few months later, deep within my spirit, I sensed God speaking to me about giving my life to full-time pastoral ministry. I ignored those promptings for the better part of two years because I was set on accepting this offer that my dad offered, had given to me. But the prompting wouldn't go away. In fact, it grew more intense over time. When I graduated from high school, I worked full-time Uh, for dad, and I devoted the rest of my free time to leading our church's youth group. And even though I had to admit, I was far more fulfilled doing that than I was farming or doing construction, I just couldn't bring myself to letting go of this tremendous opportunity uh, that was afforded me. From my perspective, I'd have it made in the shade with dad's offer, and going into ministry particularly at that time, had all kinds of uncertainty attached to it. At least that was from my perspective. But the whispers persisted. And then from time to time, a number of people that I respected would pull me aside and they'd just say, no, we just want to tell you we've been watching you and we just see pastoral gifts in you and we just think you should be praying about you know, getting into ministry someday. That did not help me at all at the time. Later on, I would appreciate that because it was all part of the journey that I was on, seeking to to really determine what God's direction and will was for my life. Well, the day came when I knew I couldn't sit on the fence of indecision any longer. And so I got on my knees and I surrendered myself anew to God and to what I believed was his call in my life. And then I proceeded to have one of the most difficult conversations of my life. When I told my dad that I believed God was calling me into full-time ministry, the look on his face said it all. I could tell that he was very disappointed. The first words out of his mouth were, son, you're not serious. There's no future in that, which is kind of funny when you think about it. 
What he meant, of course, is that pastoral ministry may have many rewards, but one of them is not in the area of finances. That's what he was thinking. After a time of discussion, he ended our time kind of throwing his hands up in the air and saying, well, I guess all of my efforts to build up this company have been in vain. I may as well just sell it. I felt horrible. As an 18-year-old, I felt conflicted. I found myself wondering, am I making the right decision? Am I going to regret this decision in the future? I wondered, am I just dreaming this up? Am I actually trying to sabotage my own future? Or am I really hearing from God? While looking back on it now, I have no doubt I heard from God. And even though there have been many challenges and hardships along the way, some 40 years later, I can honestly say that I have no regrets and I'd do it all over again. You see, I've come to realize that God's plan for me and for you is much more about knowing him and loving him than it is about exactly what it is you do for him. God's highest calling in our lives is not so much about whether we serve him in full-time Christian ministry or whether we uh, are his full-time representatives in the marketplace. His highest calling on our lives is that through our careers, through our roles as spouses, as parents, as friends, through our successes and our failures, through good times and hard times, through prosperity and adversity, we would increasingly experience the peace, the joy, the, the, the fulfillment and satisfaction that comes to us when our number one passion in life is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. This truth hit home to me in a new way the night before my dad died almost two years ago. As I sat at his bedside, I thought back to the good times we had together and to the decision that I made to be obedient to God's call in my life. I wondered where my life would be at, spiritually and otherwise, if I had decided to take what I felt was the safe and secure road that dad was offering me, rather than the difficult, uncertain pathway that God was calling me to. And I, as I listened to my dad's labored breathing, I, I realized once again that unless Jesus comes back first, one way or another, whether through illness or an accident or just old age, we will all come to this place. And what will matter then is not how big our bank account is, the size of our home, the degrees behind our name, the trophies that are on the mantle, or how successful our career has been. What will matter then is our relationship with Jesus, our relationship with family and friends, and the difference we made in this life for Jesus. 
By the way, my dad came to understand this truth himself over time. From the time I started at Center Street many years ago now until his death, he, along with my praying mother, were two of my greatest supporters. And I can still remember the time that my dad referred back to the big decision that I made when I was 18. And he said to me, son, even though I didn't like it at the time, he said, you made the right decision. Now, I share that with you because all of us at some point in our lives will face life-altering decisions. Some of you, many of you, will be facing some of those life-altering decisions this year. Decisions that cause fear, that cause anxiety, uncertainty in our lives. Like, should I marry this person? Should I take this course of studies or this degree program? Should I go into this line of work? Should I quit my present job? Should I take this new position that's being offered to me? The good news is we don't have to face the future alone. God wants to be our personal guidance counselor through the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus said, But very truly I tell you, it is for your own good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus, of course, here is talking about the Holy Spirit. And the word advocate means defender. Someone who has your back. Someone who has your best interests at heart. Someone who prays for you. Someone who serves as your companion. Someone who empowers you to do far more than you could do in your own strength if you let him. Someone who will guide you and be your counselor. When we commit our lives to Jesus Christ, God the Holy Spirit enters into our lives. And one of the things that he offers us is to be our guide the rest of our life. In Psalm 32, 8, God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. Now think about that. The God of the universe... The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, is offering himself to us as our guide. He loves us. He wants to speak to us about his will, his very best for our lives. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul tells us about God's will for our lives, and he describes God's will as his good, pleasing, and perfect will. However, knowing God's best for our lives requires that we cultivate a friendship with him. In fact, if your friendship with God isn't where it should be, peace and joy will elude you. You will feel out of sorts often you will regularly experience inner turmoil, fear, frustration in your life. God wants us to know him so that we will trust him. Not just for eternal life, but 
for his direction, for his input, for his power on a moment-by-moment basis in this life. So how does the Holy Spirit guide us? Well, one way he guides us is through the scriptures. In fact, the main way he guides us is through the scriptures. The New Testament was originally written in the Greek language. And in the Greek, there are two terms for the term word. The two terms are logos and rhema. Logos is the word of God to everyone. Rhema is the word of God to you personally. The Bible contains God's word or God's general will for all people in all places at all time. Some of you are waiting for God's will to be shown to you and you sort of want him to write it in the sky or something close to it. But he won't do that if it's already written in the word. Therefore, the more that you read and study the Bible, the better you'll be able to understand what God's will is for your life. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God, the woman of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Notice it says the Bible's useful for some things. It's useful to teach us what God's will is. It's useful to challenge and to correct us when our thinking is wrong or untrue. We're believing wrong things. It's useful for correcting us when our behavior is outside of God's will. It's useful for showing us how to live a God-pleasing life. And so we can know, we can know this, uh, this one thing, and that is if the Bible says that something is wrong, then God's not going to prompt us or try to lead us into doing that which is wrong. And so, for example, if a married man falls in love with a woman who is not his wife, and he comes to believe that God is leading him to leave his wife and to begin this new relationship, we know that that leading is not from God because God has already stated his will in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, where he's clearly said, you shall not commit adultery. And God doesn't contradict himself. A person may feel that God's leading her not to pay her income tax. But Romans 13, 7 clearly tells us that we are to pay any tax that we owe. You see, in these and in many other areas, God has already revealed his logos, his general will, to all people in the scriptures. Now at times... While you're reading the scriptures, God will give you a rhema. He will give you a personal word through the scripture. Many of you, I'm sure, have had the experience where you're reading the Bible and suddenly a verse or a phrase just leaps off the page and kind of hits you between the eyes. And in that moment, you feel like God is speaking directly to you about a sin in your life, about someone you need to forgive, uh, a promise that you need to embrace by faith. 
Now, the implication is we need to grow in our understanding of God's word by reading it daily, by meditating on it, by studying it personally and also with others, and also hearing it taught in worship contexts like we're in right now. Now, one of the problems that we all have is that we tend to forget what we read. In fact, studies have shown that we lose over 90% of what we read and hear within 72 hours. Statistics like that depress pastors like me. Because those stats say that by Wednesday, you will have forgotten pretty much everything but my opening joke. (laughs) Which is why note-taking is a good thing. But here's the good part. One of the Holy Spirit's ministries to you and to me is to enlighten us as we read the Bible and also to help us to remember what we've read. In John 14, 26, Jesus said, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Have you ever been listening to someone share a concern and you didn't have a clue how to respond to them? You didn't have any kind of encouragement or advice to give to them, but you whispered a prayer to God and said, please give me some wisdom here, some direction as to how I might minister to them in their time of need. And out of the blue, suddenly there'd be an appropriate verse or perhaps a story in scripture or something that comes to, comes to mind and you're able to share it and bless them with it. That is the Holy Spirit reminding us of God's word and God's will for our lives. But here's the problem. The Holy Spirit can't remind you of something that isn't in your mind to begin with. You have to read the scripture first to get it in your mind. Better yet, meditate on that verse. Memorize some of the key passages of scripture. And watch how the Holy Spirit will use them to build your character and to encourage you and through you to encourage others along the way. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so, for example, let's say that you're struggling with being kind and gentle in your relationship. Let's say you tend to power up on people and give them a piece of your mind quite quickly. People would say you have a kind of a sharp edge to your personality. It would be very helpful for you to memorize verses like Ephesians 4.32, which says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Then watch the Spirit go to work after you've memorized that verse. Every time you, sh- you, you are about to blow up at someone, every time you get cut off in traffic and are tempted to use the universal gesture of intense disapproval, <laughs> the Spirit will whisper and say, ah, 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 ah. Before you do that, remember, be kind and compassionate to one another. You see, when you memorize verses like this, the Spirit will remind you again and again and again. And in time, you will be transformed into a teddy bear. You will, with gentleness oozing from every pore of your body. So first of all, the Spirit guides us through the Scriptures. Furthermore, 
Sometimes the Spirit guides us through other Christians. The Bible often calls us to seek godly advice. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Proverbs 15, 22 says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. When we make decisions, especially important ones, it is crucial that we seek advice from godly, mature, humble people. And we should seek advice from people who will be objective and honest and not just from those that we know will agree with what we'd like them to agree with. Now, sometimes God will prompt a godly person to actually communicate a message to us, a message perhaps of encouragement or perhaps of challenge. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, David had drifted away from God. He, he wasn't hearing God because he was knee-deep in sin with Bathsheba and all the other sins subsequent to that. And he wasn't hearing God. And so God confronted David by sending a message through Nathan. In Acts chapter 9, God sent Ananias to lay hands on Saul, whom God would rename Paul later on. Saul was going around murdering Christians. Ananias wasn't too excited about seeing this guy. But God called him to go to lay hands on Saul and to encourage him by giving him a message from the Lord that one day Paul would be filled with the Holy Spirit and would be used mightily by God in his kingdom. And we read that not only did Saul get his sight back, but he got up and he began to minister right after. This was a moment of encouragement. Bill Hybels tells how shortly after he became a Christ follower, he had a very distorted view of grace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer would refer to it as cheap grace. He got all absorbed in himself, focused totally on his own needs and wants, figured, hey, you know, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, I can live any way I want. In his own words, he said, materialism and greed just flooded my life. But then he says, an older Christian man whom he respected, got a message from God to give to me in the form of a single question. Now, this man, by the way, didn't say, Bill, God told me to tell you this. Be wary of people that say that. Be wary of people who claim to speak for God. All this man did is he sat Bill down, he looked him in the eye, and very gently asked him this one question. He said, Bill, what are you planning to do with your life that will last beyond the grave? What are you planning to do with your life that will last beyond the grave? Bill says that question knocked the spiritual wind out of me. It exposed my self-preoccupation. It laid bare my utterly hedonistic view of life and led me on a whole different career path. Bill says, down through the years, I have often asked myself, 
What if that older gentleman had decided not to follow through on God's prompting to pose that question to me? Bill says, I'm really glad that he did because at the time, I'm not sure that I was in a spiritual state to hear God directly. I needed to hear God desperately. But it needed to come through someone else so the words were clear to me. Sometimes the Holy Spirit guides us through other Christians. Sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks to us through other Christ followers. Thirdly, sometimes the Holy Spirit guides us through circumstances. Circumstances can take many forms. They might be a job offer, a marriage proposal, a promotion. They may include a sudden death, a natural disaster, an illness, a miraculous healing, a failure, or a success. The key is not the occurrence itself. The key is being sensitive to the Spirit and asking, Lord, are you saying anything to me through this particular event or these events? Circumstances are events that God may use to get our attention and communicate his will for our lives. Proverbs 16 verse 9 says, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. In other words, God is ultimately in control and sometimes God opens doors and sometimes he closes them. On more than one occasion in my life, God closed the door on something that I very much wanted. I was bitterly disappointed and in one instance I even tried to force open that door. I begged, I cried, I even tried to manipulate things in my favor. I tried everything possible to get God to open that door but it remained closed. And now many years later, I can clearly see why God kept that door closed and I am so glad he kept it closed. Now, by the way, just because we face a closed door, just because we face difficulties and hardships, say at work or maybe in our neighborhood, does not mean that God necessarily is calling us to change jobs or is calling us you know, to live somewhere else, to move somewhere else. The reality is God may be developing our faith. He may be developing our character through the challenges, through the discouragement that we are facing in the present moment. Preparing us for a greater work he has in mind for us. In the same way that you'll recall, Joseph spent the better part of his 20s in prison trying to figure out, God, what are you doing with my life? You've given me this grand vision and yet here I am in prison. But God was developing his faith, his character in preparation for him being second in command only to Pharaoh. When Billy Graham was a, a young college student, his college president told him that he was a failure and that he wouldn't amount to anything. Wow. It's a good thing that Billy didn't just accept that. But you see, we now can clearly see in the way that God has used him that it doesn't matter what others may think or say to discourage us or the hardships we may face along the way. What matters 
is what God thinks and what God wills for our lives. The important thing is, is that we not focus on, on whether a door is closed or open. Don't focus on the door. Focus on God. Hear his voice. Let him direct you. The truth is, God is in control. His ways, his timing is perfect. We may not understand it at the time, but he has our best interests at heart in all things. He can be completely trusted. And then fourthly, sometimes God guides us by communicating to us directly. Did you know the Holy Spirit is constantly attempting to communicate with you? To encourage you? To to challenge you to do something or even to uh, alert you to something? All the way through the Old Testament, we see examples of God communicating to people through various means, including angels and prophets and visions and dreams, even donkeys, But we also see examples of God speaking directly to people. He spoke directly to Noah about building the ark, including the instructions on how to build it in Genesis chapter 6. He spoke to Abram to leave his country and to go where he would show him in Genesis chapter 12. In Exodus 33, 11, it says that the Lord spoke to Moses as one speaks to a friend. I envy Moses. Wow. First Samuel chapter 3, God spoke audibly to young Samuel. All through the New Testament, the apostles and other key leaders of the church were directed by the Holy Spirit of God. In Luke chapter 9, verse 35, on the Mount of Transfiguration, we read the Father Father God audibly spoke to Peter, James, and John, informing them that Jesus was his son and that they were to listen to him. In Acts chapter 16, we read the Holy Spirit spoke to Paul and Timothy, forbidding them to share the good news in Asia at that particular time. You know, in John chapter 15, verse 15, this is just before Jesus went to the cross. Jesus was on, he said to his disciples, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Now think about that. Jesus says he calls us friends. Do you see him that way? He calls you friend. If you've entrusted your life to him, he calls you his friend. And you know, friends communicate to each other, don't they? They they speak to each other. They listen to one another. And our friend Jesus can surely be trusted to communicate with us through the Spirit. You know, many Christians today aren't sure God speaks today the way that he did in biblical times, at least not to them. I've had numerous people say to me, you know, 
when you preach, sometimes you, you talk about hearing God whisper things to you or, or, or sensing a prompting from God. Well, I don't sense those things. I don't hear God whispering to me. And I'll say, well, well that's just simply because he likes me better. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but you know, as much as I'm kidding, I know that that's a real feeling that people have. People today think that God only speaks to certain people. He only speaks to the super spiritual. Well, if you're thinking that, I just want to remind you of an incident that happened in Numbers 22 where God chose to speak to Balaam the prophet through whom? A donkey. A donkey. Folks, if God can speak to and through a donkey, he can speak to and through anyone. Anyone. And for those of you who would think you're really something because God speaks to you, just remember the donkey, okay? (laughs) No room for spiritual pride, folks. But what I'm saying is the Lord wants to speak to us. Not every moment of every day, because he's given us his general will in the Bible to to guide us. And he expects us to use the common sense that he's given to us, you know, to deal with all the small, minor decisions we make throughout the day. But there are times throughout the day when he wants to speak to you and he wants to perhaps direct you to a person or to do something or perhaps he wants to alert you to something. And if we go through our day with our ears, our spiritual ears attuned to him and we're, we're living with a spirit of expectancy to hear from God, we will hear from him. Now, as I indicated, God speaks to us primarily through the scriptures. But he also speaks to us through what some translations refer to as his still small voice or his gentle whispers. In 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah, he's worn out from ministry. He's defeated. He's tired. And the Lord appears to him and decides that he's going to encourage him by giving him a taste of his presence. And so God told him to go out and stand on the mountain. And then we read this. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Elijah experienced God's presence and reality through a gentle whisper. In Job 26 verse 14, Job, in the midst of all of the stuff he was dealing with, refers to God's voice as a whisper as well. There are times when God will 
seek to communicate to you through his still small voice, a whisper, through an impression, a prompting within, a conviction, a, a burning thought. Now, now, people often ask me, you know, how can I recognize God's voice? Well, you know, it takes time to dis- discern the whispers of God, but in the same way that you grow to recognize the voice of a friend, so in time you will grow to recognize God's still, small voice. I have found that the best way to recognize God's voice is through reading the scriptures. Because as I said to you a few moments ago, as you read the scriptures faithfully and regularly, God will give you a rhema word. He will give you a personal word. You will feel sometimes a verse come right off the page and hit you between the eyes. And the moment that happens, whatever it is you are sensing in that moment, whatever it is you're feeling in that moment, that is God's voice communicating to you. When you sense his conviction, when you sense him encouraging you with a promise, whatever you're sensing, that is his voice. And the more you read the scripture, the more you hear his voice through the scripture, the more you will hear it at other times of your life. It's the best training ground to hearing the voice of God. Be in the scriptures. Now we'll talk about this more next time, but the point I want to make in this message is that I believe to the core of my being that the God who spoke to his people in Bible times, the God who spoke to people down through history, including the John Wesleys and George Mueller's and Andrew Murray's and D.L. Moody and others, this same God wants to speak to you and me. Henry Blackaby tells the story of George Mueller who heard the gentle whisper of God calling him to start an orphanage and that he was to ask no one for anything. And during his lifetime, he did just that. He cared for over 10,000 orphans without ever asking anyone for anything, including money. And so after securing a location for this orphanage, He realized the night before the first set of orphans were to arrive, several hundred orphans, before they were to arrive, the night before, he realizes that he had taken care of all the details except food to feed them and furniture for them to eat on and to sleep on. This is what happens when you don't involve women in your planning. (laughs) Anyhow, he was distraught. And so he did the only thing that he could do, and that is to talk to God about his need. He just continued in his reading of Scripture, and as he read, he came to Psalm 81.10. And God gave him a rhema, a personal word from that psalm. This is what the psalm says, Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. Mueller believed God was saying to him, ask for whatever you need and I will provide it for you. So that's what he did. He had no other choice. He went to God in earnest prayer. He laid out what he needed 
And the next day, carriages miraculously arrived with everything that Mueller had asked for the night before. Friends, that's the kind of relationship that God wants to have with you and me. Are you listening? God wants to speak into the issues. He wants to speak into the cares, the questions, the decisions, the pain that you're facing. This is the way that God wants us to live, to cultivate a friendship with him that's alive, that's active, that's daily growing closer to one another by regularly communicating to each other. This is what it means to be a Christ follower. He's not... It's not just about showing up at church once a week, as valuable as this time can be. But it is also walking with God and talking with God throughout the week. You know, it's taken me years to realize this, but I can tell you from personal experience that nothing makes your faith come alive more than daily inviting the Holy Spirit of God to do your day with you. Most every morning, I get up with a spirit of anticipation and saying, Lord, please direct my paths today. Show me where you're at work. Show me in whom you are working. And then just guide me in terms of what to say or not to say. What to do, what not to do. There have been times I have sensed him leading me to talk to someone about spiritual things. And in almost every instance, the person was ripe for that conversation. In some cases, hungry to know about how they can commit their lives to Jesus Christ. There have been times I've sensed him leading me to pray for someone in the privacy of my office because they just popped into my mind. I've gotten on the phone after that, just said, hey, you know, is everything going okay? Because I just sensed God prompting me to pray for you. And then to hear them share that they're just blown away that I would pray at that time, that I would call at that time because they were just in a major crisis or, or having to deal with a major decision. And their faith was built and so was mine. Still other times I've heard the Lord whisper, you know, help that person with their car. Or ask that person how they're doing. Invite that person to church or to your small group. Sometimes I'm in the hospital and praying with someone from our church and all of a sudden I'll sense the Lord saying, I want you to pray for that person in that bed. I don't know them, Lord. And I'll pray anyways. And I go over and say, you know, you don't know me, but I think God would just like me to say a prayer for you. Are you okay with that? And I have been blown away at how God has used that in the lives of that person, life of that person. Oh, don't get the wrong impression. There have been, there have been and, there, and there continue to be times when I'm so preoccupied and I'm so uptight about things and, and feverishly trying to solve the, the world's problems and the energy of my own flesh that, that I wouldn't hear God even if he shouted at me. But I can tell you this, that life has taught me that inviting God into your day beats the living daylights out of trying to do your day on your own. 
There's just no comparison. The one leads to joy and peace and fulfillment and, and, and spiritual growth. The other to frustration and, and confusion and legalism and spiritual defeat and boredom. I mean, let me ask you, how would you define or describe your spiritual life? Would you describe it as routine? Would you describe it as safe, ritualistic, boring, predictable? I dare say that is a description of many religious people in our world. That is not why Jesus came. God so much wants to be involved in your day and lead you in the greatest faith adventure possible. But it's only going to happen to the extent that you talk to him and that you listen to him, that you cultivate this friendship that he wants to have with you. Imagine what your life, imagine what your marriage what your family life, even what your small group life would be like if everyone in those particular groupings were open, really open to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. If all of us would do what the Holy Spirit prompts us to do, that we'd be have an active ear to listen to him. I want to challenge each and every one of us to respond to God's leadings in our lives. Because nothing will enrich our walk with God more. Nothing will advance the kingdom of God more than all of us having this close friendship with our Lord, loving him and living for him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, may this coming year be an adventure like we've never had before as we trust the Lord with all of our heart. And we give our lives away in love for others as God leads us to the glory of God and for the sake of a world that so desperately needs the Jesus that we know and love. Can you say amen to that? Amen. amen. Stand with me and let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your faithfulness over all these years. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for, for drawing us to yourself, for allowing us to be part of your forever family. Lord, for the privilege of being part of the greatest cause that's ever been given to man. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, our companion, our counselor, our advocate, the one who has our back, the one who keeps praying for us when we can't pray anymore. The one who empowers us to do what we can never do in our own strength. The one who wants to guide us and direct our, our lives. Lord, thank you for your word and the picture that we find in it of an incredible relationship that we can have with you on a day-to-day -day basis. We pray, Lord, that you would use us somehow in this one shining season of our lives to make a difference in the lives of those who are far from you and who intersect our lives on a regular basis. 
And Lord, it is with that in mind that we put aside our personal agendas, our selfish interests, our pride. We ask for your forgiveness, Lord. We put aside all the noise that so easily distracts us. And together we say, Savior, oh, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us, please. Lead us, Lord. Show us the way. We believe that your way is perfect. It's pleasing. We open our hands to you. We recommit our lives to you. And we say to you, even as we leave this place, that you would use us for your honor and for your glory and for the sake of those who need you so desperately. For we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.